does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. And our road trip takes us down to Houston, excuse me, Houston, Texas. Great city, by the way. Super nice people down there. And beautiful stadium, but they leave that all behind to come here for a huge showdown with the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Joining us now from the Houston Chronicle, Jonathan Alexander, to talk about that. Jonathan, the first question, which is the most burning question that I've got to ask is this. Uh, One of the key chic new hotels close to Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis is the Alexander. Do you get a free suite? <laughs> I wish, man. That would that would be nice if I could wield some power like that, but I do, I do not get a free suite, but that'd be nice. Are you staying at the Jonathan? That's a, a lesser rented place uh, outside of town. Wait, they have a, a Jonathan hotel No, I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> I, 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 You know what? I share Will my name when I go there. I should <laughs> hey. like I belong. If the if the Texans are going to come here and put their name on the AFC South, of course we you know it remains to be seen what happens with Jacksonville. But this is a big one, obviously, on Saturday night. And I don't think, Jonathan, you tell me if you agree with this. Certainly, from the Indianapolis standpoint, I think at the beginning of the year, people would have been shocked if they would have found out that at the end of the year it was going to end this way with this much on the line. Did you see this as a possibility going back to camp for the Houston Texans? No, I, I I didn't at all. You know, I, I predicted the Texans would win about six games. I, I thought that that CJ Stroud, I, you know, I saw the talent that he had, and I thought that he would look good. But I, I I thought that the Texans had a lot of issues, particularly on defense, that they needed to fix before they could be a great team. And I thought they needed some more weapons, but they've exceeded expectations. Nico Collins is having a breakout year, thousand yard receiving season. Tank Dell was on pace for a thousand yard season before he got hurt, but there's but what's been really impressive is this Texans defense and how they've stopped the run. They're, they were sixth worst in NFL history last year. They're third best in the NFL right now, tied with the San Francisco 49ers, allowing just over 88 yards per game. So, no, nah, I didn't. And then the Colts, when when Anthony Richardson went down, I wasn't expecting that either. Gardner Minshew to pick them up, even though he's one of the better backups, but wasn't expecting him to have Colts in this position either. Jonathan, when you look at the most recent injury report from the Texans, and I know they'll have – final notations a little later today but Thursday's injury report among them Robert Woods questionable Will Anderson Jr. questionable Laramie Tunsil questionable a couple other names in there as well when you look at their injury report for those that don't follow it as closely like Colts fans that might not be monitoring that injury report weekly what if anything stands out at you in terms of how the Texans may be impacted and who's likely to not go on Saturday yeah, I think the only players who probably won't go uh, are, are the ones who are ruled out. Jonathan Grenard already ruled out. Noah Brown already ruled out. Those are two key pieces who they're missing. Um, you got Malik Collins, who's also a key piece of defense tackle. He's going to be questionable, and he was questionable last week, but I think he's a little bit closer to playing. Uh, they were able to sit him out last week, and he practiced Friday, so I think he'll be good to go. And Everybody else on that list, Laramie Tunsil, he's been questionable all year. He's going to be go. Uh, he's going to be good to go. He he told us Friday or he told us Thursday that he was going to play. So I expect everybody on that list is questionable to play because they know the the stakes. It's the week 18, you get into the playoffs. And so they're going to be ready to go. Jonathan, when the NFL combine was here in the spring, 
And obviously with the Colts being in the same mix as Houston and your hometown, Carolina Panthers, you know, all looking for quarterbacks, there was a lot of attention about C.J. Stroud's media availability when he said he is a ball placement specialist. And I think C.J. Stroud probably amongst the quarterbacks that was there was the most impressive just in terms of his presentation and his confidence, but not cockiness, if you will, through the process. Um, What has C.J. Stroud as a rookie? Where has he exceeded even that expectation and poise? And where has he shown to be vulnerable? Yeah, I think just his comfortability, like the moment you you just talked about it, the confidence. I I haven't seen that from uh, many guys at all. Uh, he just carries this, exudes this confidence about him, and it's not cocky at all. You see, he's humble about it. But I think he's confident because of his preparation. He's one of the most prepared players on his team, he's constantly looking at film. His life is, is football, really, and, and connecting with his teammates. And it was really interesting early on how how the, his teammates really gravitated towards him, and they chose to follow him early on. And he really proved that throughout the year, especially that game against the Buccaneers. Uh, so I think, you know, that confidence helps along with that ball placement. He can put the ball in places that only his receivers can get to. And and that's why he has only five interceptions this, this year. And three of those came in one game. So he's deadly accurate with the with the football. He's super confident. His teammates follow that. That confidence permeates to the rest of his teammates. Where I do think uh, he, he may have some weak spots, um, may be in his, his inexperience and, and not seeing a ton of, of NFL defenses, um, but one thing CJ is going to do is he's going to try to prepare himself as much as possible so he is ready for the moment. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jonathan Alexander, Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, is our guest. Jonathan, there's been a lot of talk out of the Houston camp this week about how they are a much different team than they were very early in the season when the Colts came to Houston and beat the Texans. In what ways, as you look at this team, are they different on both sides of the ball? Yeah, I, I think um, one way in particular, CJ Stroud has has grown tremendously from that from early on in those first few games. And one thing I, I probably didn't mention was early on he had a tendency to really want to take the deep shot and go outside of the offense, and and it worked uh, oftentimes um, when they when he was pressured. Uh, but I think what he's learning is to be patient, and when that deep shot is not there, hit that check down, and and that's where he's grown. I think uh, the defense has, has grown tremendously in getting after the quarterback. They've led the league the uh, last few weeks and in, in, in the last three weeks in sacks. Um, and they've been spotty. They've been a little bit inconsistent on defense, I'd say, kind of similar to the Colts. They've had some up and down uh, games on defense. But uh, that pass rush is kind of coming together, and, and it's been the catalyst for their defensive efforts. They allowed only three points against the Titans, who – looked a little bit checked out, but you still hold the NFL team to three points. You're having a good good, good game. Uh, so I, I would say those are the areas that I point to. Jonathan, Jonathan Alexander, by the way, from the Houston Chronicle is our guest here on this, the road trip. Usually Thursday road trip. We did it on Friday, courtesy of our friends at AAA. Um, Jonathan, since the first meeting between these two teams and with C.J. Stroud's 
continued evolution from one week to the next. I know obviously there was some injury in there as well, but how much more open is this playbook for Houston or have they basically kept it kind of comfort level for him or are they going to show some new looks that Indianapolis may not have seen? You know, it's interesting you ask that. I, I've had a talk with Bobby Sloat kind of earlier in the year, maybe around week eight or week nine, and he told me, you know, that they were kind of – he had to kind of learn himself as a play caller. I think they were keeping it – they were still learning the system. They were still getting used to things. And it was around after the Colts game where Bobby Sloat said he really got comfortable and him and CJ kind of got on the same page and they can discuss plays and, and provide input with each other. So they're not – they don't have any restrictions. They're opening up the playbook. They definitely have some some plays that they feel like they can run that they haven't run uh, too often. I think it was about three weeks ago they ran a play that they ran in training camp that worked for a touchdown, and they didn't run it all season. So I'm sure it, they describe Bobby Slowick's playbook as the Bible because it's so thick. So I'm sure they have some plays that, that they would like to run that, that they hope that the, the Colts haven't seen um, this season. And um, But I, I don't think there's any restrictions on, on what they feel like they can do um, they'll pull. Out, they'll try to pull out all the stops on Sunday, on Saturday. I'm sorry. So, Jonathan, let's say that you are laying there in your room at the Alexander, and all <laughs> of a sudden you hear a, a ruffling, and you wake up, and there's like a small fairy in your room, and which would be alarming, admittedly. But the fairy <laughs> says, "Look, I've got a magic wand here, and you can wave it over one area of this Houston Texans team, and that area will suddenly be taken care of, and it's the area that has held them back the most this year." But now, during the home stretch, it's going to be strengthened. The area that the Houston Texans would most beg and plead you to use with that wand would be what? I would probably say uh, two areas about tied and running game. Uh, they've struggled to have consistency in running game and running the football, and that's put a lot of pressure on, on C.J. Stroud. And then on defense, they've given up a lot of explosive plays. And, and, and of course, that's where the Colts have excelled at times, especially last week. So um, you'll see it early in the game. Teams have the last three teams have tried to test the Texans cover three. Have run, tried to run a play action fake and try to hit the Texans deep, and they've beat them two out of the three times. And one one time a Titans player dropped the ball. So those are the areas that they would like to get better and be a lot more consistent, giving up explosive plays and they're running the football with more consistency. Jonathan, how much have the Texans as a franchise just in one year? changed in your mind from where they were even just a season ago with what D'Amico Ryans and of course CJ Stroud what D'Amico Ryans has been able to do putting together a a coach of the year like campaign yeah I mean it's they've changed the beliefs of the the fan base like fan base stopped coming to games because they were upset with how the product on the field and rightfully so Um, there was no direction the last few years they were they were hiring coaches who really had no chance to succeed. Um, and they finally got out of They had a terrible salary cap situation. They finally got out of it. And this past offseason, they were able to hire D'Amico Ryans, who said it was his dream job to coach the Texans, who was a former player they called Cap. And he's instilled a belief uh, in this Texans because they believe in him. You know, he did it at a high level, so they follow. And then one of the biggest factors you can't discount is just how great Stroud has been. He's just kind of changed things and hands down been the best rookie um, this season. And uh, he, he looks to have a bright future ahead of him. Jonathan, let's say hypothetically Chris Ballard calls you on the phone. Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts. And he yeah. says, Jonathan Alexander, Houston Chronicle, um, 
you were able to witness C.J. Stroud's really good rookie season. We have a guy in Anthony Richardson next year that essentially is getting a redo on his rookie season. Uh-huh. What what did the Houston Texans do well for Stroud that even as naturally gifted as Stroud was, what did the Texans do to allow him to be comfortable before pushing him too far, and what pieces did they put around him that exceeded what you expected that Indianapolis could replicate in building the same comfort level for Anthony Richardson? Yeah, well, they they built a, a quarterback-friendly offense, or, or they brought a quarterback-friendly offense. Of course, we know um, Bobby Slo, the disciple of Mike Shanahan and that Kyle Shanahan offense. So it, it, it caters to quarterbacks, makes things a lot easier. Um, but even CJ does things outside of the offense that you just can't teach. But they they really surrounded him with pieces with uh you know Tank drafting Tank Dell who's a dynamic playmaker, um, also adding Noah Brown who's had some big games and Dalton Schultz is a huge as a tight end, um, and then trying to strengthen the offensive line as much as they could. Um, they did get suffer some injuries, but they've surrounded C.J. Stroud with a lot of good pieces that have allowed him to be successful, and I think. Doing that same thing with the Colts would, would certainly help uh, Anthony Richardson. Jonathan Alexander covers the Texans for the Houston Chronicle. He joins us here on Query and Company. Jonathan, there was a lot of talk made nationally with what the Texans did in the NFL draft and the way they went about acquiring both C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson Jr. We've talked a bit about Stroud already. I want to focus on the defensive end. How would you grade to this point the rookie season of Will Anderson Jr. and how critical is him leading the attack to get after Gardner Minshew tomorrow? Yeah, I would say uh, I would grade uh, Will Anderson as probably a B plus. I mean, even though he doesn't have double-digit sacks, you know, sacks don't really tell the whole story. Um, He has a punt block, has a field goal block. You know, they lean on him to do a lot for this team. He's a team captain first year as a rookie, and you don't see that from defensive ends. You see that from quarterbacks, but you don't see that from defensive ends, but they just say he has one motor doesn't stop. So I think he's been a tremendous – he's the ideal guy. Him and CJ are the ideal guys of, of, of what they were looking for to build their franchise around. And, and I think um, Will Anderson has been tremendous. Uh, he's dealing with a high ankle sprain right now, and it's, it's painful. He played only 12 snaps last year, and they used him in obvious passing downs, and he had two sacks and uh, four quarterback pressures. Uh, so I, I think it'll be a similar type deal uh, this week. They won't want to overuse him. Uh, just in case they're able to make the playoffs. Um, but I, I think the, you'll see Will Anderson causes some havoc in the backfield. Uh, that's that's what is that's what he does. That's what he's done all year. Jonathan Alexander, Houston Chronicle, our guest. Jonathan, what is your overall impression? And I realize you're focused, obviously, on the Colts. But, or excuse me, on the Texans. But in talking to Houston, their players, their staff, and, and having to be aware of the division, give me your overall impression of the Colts. <laughs> I, I think – you know, Shane Tyson, I think, has got them headed in the right direction. And if it wasn't for Kevin Stefanski doing what he's doing, you know, I, I think Shane and, and, and D'Amico are neck and neck uh, as far as Coach of the Year candidate. So my impression is that the Colts are headed in the right direction. I think he's done a tremendous job just given the circumstances of, of, of using the backup quarterback, having to adjust uh, when your quarterback goes down. And, and you know, I, I thought the Colts were in, in – terrible situation last year offensively um and and they've kind of just turned things around and they look like a, a team that's ready to compete I, I think it's going to be it's really going to i think the Colts and the texans are really going to take over the vision these next few years it's going to be good along with the jaguars as well so uh but 
you know, I think the Colts are, are headed in the right direction as well, right there with the Texans. All right, Jonathan, I got one for you that has nothing to do with the Houston Texans or the Indianapolis Colts and everything to do with Jonathan Alexander. Are you ready? Yeah, ready. Okay, you are a graduate, if I'm not mistaken, of North Carolina Central University, correct? Correct. Okay, and for those that are unfamiliar, North Carolina, so I think people around Indianapolis are familiar with HBCUs because the Circle City Classic was so big for so many years and, and people were able to see some of the football and the great bands in particular with those schools. But I wanted to give you the opportunity for this. Um, mm-hmm. In in the Midwest, for example, we don't have obviously the number of HBCUs that you see throughout the South and the Southeast notably. Um, yeah. For those that might be listening for those that might have kids that are getting ready to go into college or are looking for an opportunity to maybe even get away from home a little bit, can you speak to the academic experience that you had at North Carolina Central University and notably some of the rewards or enrichment that you felt in going to an HBCU versus just a a regular large state school? Yeah, I think going to North Carolina Central, it was the best decision of my life. I think you you know it it wasn't such a big school so it it felt like um your your professors knew you and cared about you and, and cared about your success and and supported you and and did everything they could to put you in the right position and put you, to put you in the right classes uh to succeed and i remember my reporting and writing classes um my teachers <laughs> they weren't so upset uh if i didn't show up to class because they knew i was at the student newspaper doing the work and I could turn in my work that I did for the student newspaper for them. And they knew, uh, you know, they supported what I was doing and, and they fostered this love of journalism that I have. So, um, and they still keep in touch with me to this day. So yeah, uh, if you're ever thinking about going to North Carolina Central or an HBCU, I'd highly recommend it. Um, you know, especially if you, if you like the smaller class sizes and the, and the professors that care about you. So who's their biggest rival? North Carolina A and T. We we do not like those guys <laughs> at all. Fair enough. At all. <laughs> don't like them at all. Don't like don't don't even want to. No, I'm just playing. My mom went to North Carolina A and T graduate school. So oh, nice. Yeah. Now there you go. Okay. Great. Well, enjoy that room in the Alexander because you're never coming home. <laughs> I got a little bit of love for him, but it still it still grind my gears a little bit. All right. Last actually, last question about the game, real quick, Jonathan. If the Colts for okay. for Colts fans listening. The obvious answer here is going to be corral C.J. Stroud. But if the Colts are to win this game and punch their ticket into the postseason, it's going to be because they did what that did not directly have anything to do with Stroud himself? Uh, it's because they connected on explosive plays. They found uh, lapses in the in the Texans' secondary and hit them. And as you all know, explosive plays lead to points. Um, so they outscored. They would have outscored the Colts. So I think that's the thing. I think that's the biggest thing that the Texans have to watch out for. A lot of teams have exposed them with these explosive plays downfield. And if the Colts can do that, they can win. Jonathan, we appreciate the time. And certainly I know that one of the things you enjoy are good restaurants. So hopefully you find a good one uh, in covering this game. And we certainly wish you the best for 2024. But appreciate the time. Look forward to having you on again. I appreciate it. Please send recommendations. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, Basbo St. Elmo's Steakhouse. What's your recommendation, Jimmy? St. Elmo's is the big yeah. one, Jonathan, that like everybody from the combine goes there and you got to get the shrimp cocktail. That's like we're obligated to say that, right? For sure. I mean, okay. if, if, I, if you're on the northern portion, Bubs and Carmel is a good spot. For no, burgers. here's the thing. Is Looking it, for City of Indy. Wait, is it North Carolina Central, the Eagles? 
Oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. the Eagle. Then you get, then you go to the Eagle. Yeah. They got great, yeah, great like cuisine there. They're known for their their fried chicken, but the Eagle's a good place. Right now, right downtown. There's your there's your Kil- spot. Kilroy's breadsticks is my stamp. Kilroy's that place is breadsticks be crazy. also good. So. Uh, but you're gonna be safe either way, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, again, Jonathan Alexander from the Houston Chronicle. And again, that conversation brought to us by our friends at AAA. You know, AAA membership basically pays for itself. I can tell you, there's a mysterious curbing on emerson that one night during a rainstorm i may or may not have hit and i thought oh boy here we go uh might have bent the rim no problem triple a was there for me because triple a's always got your back 24 7 365 whether you run out of gas like your keys in your car my buddy mike byron would probably do that uh, you get a flat tire dead battery whatever it might be triple a is there for you 844 go aaa go that's 844-GO-AAA-GO or AAA.com. Don't forget, they also have uh, an opportunity for you coming up on the 13th at the JW Marriott to go to their uh, fair where you can look at the different vacation plans AAA has because AAA does travel as well. So a little of everything from our friends at AAA. Thank you for making the road trip possible. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, Jimmy, I need you to put your seat upright. I have no idea why that affects the safety of our landing. I'll put the tray table up, too. Put your tray table up. You know why? Because we're about to board it right now and fly around on the two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. Nigel Burton, Pac-12 Network. Let's get right to it between Washington and Michigan. First question, Nigel. Michael Penix has been electric. Does Washington change anything or add wrinkles for him or just go with what works against the Wolverines? You know, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because obviously what you saw the Wolverines do to Alabama's offense uh, in terms of how they blitzed, how aggressive they were. I'm not sure it's going to fit with a guy who's as as experienced as Michael Penix Jr., especially getting the ball out of his hands and things like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they try to mash things up. And I think if you're Washington, you come with a similar plan like you did against Texas, worked flawlessly, uh, involved him in the run game a little bit more than we've seen over the year. Uh, It was... uh, it was like watching a, a maestro at work, uh, what Ryan Grubb did with him uh, in the Sugar Bowl. When you look at what Michigan did offensively against Alabama, it's clear they want to get their players in space. Washington defensively, are they capable of limiting that over the course of a whole game? They are, especially if they try to do it that way. I, I think the best thing Michigan has that they could do is really treat Washington like they did Penn State. I mean, Washington's got a ton of speed outside. Uh, it really tackled poorly in the, in the uh, Sugar Bowl, especially compared to what you saw Washington do in the open field defensively against Oregon, who's got probably better athletes than, than Michigan has. I think the way that Michigan wants to attack Washington's defense is to run downhill at them, treat them like Penn State, take away their speed by really giving them blunt force trauma. And I think if that happens, it actually helps them twofold because it keeps Michael Penix off the field as well. So. That's what I would anticipate in that matchup. Lastly, it seems as though Washington's pretty battle-tested. They've won some close games. Between Washington and Michigan, Nigel Burton, your opinion, which team is more equipped if this comes down to a final possession? I think there's no question. If it comes down to a final possession, it's got to be Washington. I think every single game. Now, as a Washington alum, a guy who put on and rocked the purple and gold, man, uh, I'm going to need a cardiologist after this season. Every single game has come down to the final minute. Uh, Arizona, Oregon State, both Oregon games. 
Uh, you go down to the wire. Uh, obviously, the Texas uh, finale was uh, epic. Uh, it's just how they live, and uh, they don't they don't stress. They don't seem to uh, flinch in any way. Uh, Apple Cup, just keep going down the line of games. If it comes down to a final, final possession, it's going to be the Huskies holding the hardware. I have a cardiologist, and Dr. Mottman's a Michigan State man. He'll be rooting with you. Nigel Burton, appreciate the time. Absolutely, anytime. Rolling along as we head to Michigan, Austin Meek covering all things Michigan sports for the Athletic National Championship game, Michigan versus Washington. Are the Huskies the most dynamic offense that this Michigan defense will face all year? Yeah, without a doubt. I think the closest comparison would would be uh, probably Ohio State, but I think Michael Penix is just much more dynamic at quarterback than Kyle McCord was. Uh, the receiving core, I think, is is comparable, uh, but Michael Penix's ability to, to throw the deep ball, uh, his precision, his ability to get the ball out quickly, I think there's no doubt he is the best quarterback Michigan will have faced this year, and, and I think the biggest challenge is the season for this Michigan secondary. You know, Michigan offensively has been able to kind of pull things, rabbits out of the hat. They did it against Alabama. Do they have enough to do it one more game? I think they do. I think Michigan's going to be able to run the ball in this game. Uh, Washington gave up six yards per carry against Texas. They, they did it against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. I think this is a game where Michigan is going to want to feed the ball to Blake Corum. Uh, keep that offense on the field. Keep Michael Penix on the sideline. I think if Michigan can do that, I, I think they'll be able to put some points on the board and, and be in a position to win this game. Okay, lastly, Austin, yes or no, or just a gut feeling for you, win or lose, is this Jim Harbaugh's final game as the head coach at Michigan? I'm going to say yes. That's my gut feeling. I think if, if especially if Michigan wins, I think that there's a very good chance this is it for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but either way, he's going to have some NFL interest again. He's done this the last three years. I expect him to listen. And if Michigan wins this game, I won't be surprised at all if he feels like the time is right to go back to the NFL. Austin Meek talking Michigan for the Athletic. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, Josh Reed, WIVB in Buffalo. Bills, Dolphins to end the regular season. First question, Buffalo's won four straight. They'd struggled before that. What has been different for the Bills in the last month? A little bit of it is getting healthy. It really is. The defense has been banged up all season long. They're starting to get healthy. Last week, they got a big, big piece to the interior of their defensive lineback, Daquan Jones. He was playing at a Pro Bowl level before the injury 10 weeks ago. Works his way back from the pec injury, back in the lineup. That is a huge boost to them. Mike DeHyde's been playing through injury. He's back. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, their edge rusher, he's back from an injury. So they are not only are they peaking defensively at the right time, they're getting healthy at the right time. And this defense, in that four-game win streak, allowing 17 points per game, you're going to win a lot of games this time of year when you're only allowing 17 points. Josh, let's play out doomsday for a second. The Bills miss the playoffs. Is Sean McDermott gone, or are there still coordinators left to be thrown? Why would you do this to me? <laughs> Come on, man. We're staring down the weekend. This is a good time of the week. You know what? I, I don't think I, I don't think he's gone. Sean McDermott's got ten wins this season. He he's gotten this team to the playoffs every year that he's been here, but one. He got guys in his seventh season. He he makes it this year. That's six out of seven. I mean, they they're going for a fourth straight division title in a division that let's not forget it when that long ago the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were just running it every single week every single season so no I think I think Sean McDermott 
job is safe now. That being said, if they don't find a way to get into the postseason, next year I do believe the seat gets much hotter. Bills win and they are in as divisional champions. If they lose, they have to have hoped that earlier in the day that either Pittsburgh or Jacksonville had fallen. Josh Reed, WIVB in Buffalo. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Travis Wingfield, Dolphins.com in Miami. Okay, big one for Miami, obviously, to end the year with Buffalo. Question is this, Travis. They are so dynamic offensively, but have teams started to figure that out? Do they need to come up with some tweaks here heading into the postseason? I think they have to come up with some tweaks beyond the opening play script that coaches will design for a game offensively because in the two blowout losses this year, previously to Buffalo and to Baltimore, the offense was able to match what the opposing offense was able to do going up and down the field for the first half of those games. And then all of a sudden, they make an adjustment. The Dolphins' offense begins to press, and I think you start forcing throws down the field when you get down by a score or two, and that's where the offense has kind of gotten off schedule and failed to adjust to what the the opposing defense has done to adjust to them. So I think that originally the the answer is no, but once you get in three or four positions into the game, then yes, you have to find ways to adjust. Travis, as you know, this is the AFC East on the line for the Dolphins at home, under the bright lights, biggest Dolphins game since when? Oh, man, last week. <laughs> I mean, we, it's, it's so funny because we, we have these conversations all the time about, you know, the, the history of the franchise and the struggles of the last 20-plus years. I would probably say since the 08 AFC East uh, sort of title game, the Jets actually wound up not being able to play for the division that day, but Miami had a chance to win and end in the Jets building. I would say 2008, Chad Pennington, uh, comeback player of the year, 11-5 Dolphins AFC East champions. Travis, lastly, we know about the situation away from football. Tyree Kill, the house fire. Is that in any way, shape, or form an internal distraction? I think the fact that he hasn't practiced because of it is a, is a, a big deal. I mean, he, he left practice early on Wednesday and did not practice on Thursday because of the personal reasons. So I think that uh, Tyreek, you know, in, in the big games this year, Tyreek's not played his best football. So for him to lock in and come in and have a, his best game of the season is the hope and the goal. But so far this year, it hasn't really happened that way. So I think it's a potential distraction. Travis Wingfield, Dolphins.com. Thanks for the time and enjoy the sun. Anytime. Thanks a lot, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, if you were not with us at the top of the show, uh, where have you been? I confessed to a falsehood that I had opined earlier this year when I said, or actually I guess technically last year, when I said that the Thanksgiving weekend was the best sports weekend in Indianapolis, because here we are at the end of the regular season in the NFL, and you've got the Colts with a huge one at Lucas Oil Stadium. you got the Pacers playing tonight against Atlanta, and then Boston coming in on Saturday, followed by Boston again on Monday. So it's definitely a big sports weekend. So in that reality... I told a fib, and Kevin Bowen actually told a little fib as well just a couple of minutes ago because he you just heard him say that you'll next hear from him on Monday. That's not totally the case because the co-host of the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy joins us now on the program to preview the Colts and the Houston Texans. First question first, Kevin, your son is on, I believe, a seven-game win streak. He selected who for this one? Yeah, not to shortchange him. He's on an eight-game heater. Um, he has selected the Indianapolis Colts. Ooh. Now, are we getting into full degeneracy to get uh, a 
a sports book sponsorship for Max Bowen? Is that is that new levels of uh, degeneracy, or if they came calling, would you be willing to have conversations? Uh, I'll do anything for the five twenty nine. So yeah, I actually have a call with our sales department here after I'm done with you guys. So a little indecisive. I, I don't know if you know you're trying to read a fortune teller's body language here. If you know if he's leading to a close game, a back and forth affair, you know something happening, maybe even an overtime contest. Certainly, these teams have played some entertaining games last year. Uh, comes to mind there, but um, after a little bit of indecision, a little bit of hesitancy. Uh, indeed, the Colts helmet as he tries to make it nine in a row here to close out the season. Uh, while we're all confessing to fibs, that is actually not a fib, but kind of a, a looseness there from Jimmy Cook, who was saying that he's just now entering into like degeneracy with that proposal because yesterday he was offering gambling tips on darts. So World Dart Championship. I stand by it. 16-year-old phenom Luke Littler, he had a chance. He blew a two-set lead. It happens. He'll be back. Yeah, well, he wasn't curious enough. Okay, it, Kevin. Uh, are we betting on... Is this COVID? Are we betting on darts and Russian table? Look, that's I, exactly right. Yeah, I, I fell down a TikTok hole. Kevin, I'll send you a clip, 30 seconds. You don't need to fall down the full rabbit hole, but darts crowds might be the most rowdy bunch of fans unexpectedly that you've ever seen. Come on, man. I promise you, it's nuts. You need to, you need to quit. I, I've seen highlights of bullseyes, and I will say they are pretty electric moments, but okay. you know, to say I'm, um, you know, Doven any deeper than that, I'll, I'll just let you handle that one. No more eating after 9 p.m. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> is your son going to be correct? You know, look, this is – let me tell you my thought, then you tell me if you agree or disagree. If these two teams played 10 games right now, they each win five. I mean, I really do feel like it's that much a toss-up. Am I taking the easy way out there? No, I mean, I, I went back and forth on my own selection, you know, all week long. Part of me thinks it's the simplest. C.J. Stroud is the far better quarterback, and then a matchup of – you know, pretty even teams when it's a coin flip game, um, would I be foolish to go against Stroud? And, and I did ultimately go against them. I, I think Houston's banged up in some really key areas. Um, I think the short week travel impacts them as well, particularly with their injuries. Um, I mean, if you look at it on paper, the Colts have their starting O-line, assuming Ryan Kelly plays, their starting O-line from week one, and they're starting D-line from week one, ready to go for tomorrow night. I mean, there can't be many, if any, teams in the NFL that can say that. Houston certainly cannot. We had John McClain on earlier today, and he basically listed off, I want to say it was like three different left tackles, three different left guards, four different centers, two different right guards, three different right tackles. I mean, they've had just just a wild combination uh, in their D-line. You know, I think it's been well documented all week long without their starting sack or their um, leading sacker, Jonathan Gennard and a couple other guys banged up. So um, that's kind of why I went with Indy. I, I think at the end of it, uh, these trenches and, and the ability to control the line of scrimmage and you got, you had to disrupt Stroud. And even if, you know, he, he did that to a pretty high degree in week two and he still threw for three eighty and two touchdowns, but um, I'm going to go with the Colts in a, uh, in a close one. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, 7 to 10 a.m. here on these very airways. Follow him on Twitter as well at KBowen1070. Kevin, I know I've talked to you about this in the past. I had a conversation with JMV about it earlier as well. There is a sense amongst the fan base, amongst the city of Indianapolis, that it, it's time to be back in the playoffs and what a wasted opportunity it would be to you know, piss down your leg and not close things out to be able to get a playoff berth. When you look at the matchup, though, 
if and I know it's hard to say it because you don't have the full game script of what happened. You don't know if Stroud threw for 300 yards and if Minshew threw two picks. Like you don't know what happened. But if it is a loss tomorrow night, where does blame lie, if any, while acknowledging what they were able to do over the course of this season? Yeah, I mean that's that's a good one. I I go back to losses to PJ Walker. I go back to you know three score losses to Jake Browning and Taylor Heineke. I mean that's probably where I would first start. Obviously, in your own building, a game like tomorrow night is just a golden opportunity. But I think in particular, you know, even with Gardner Minshew, I mean you would still say Gardner Minshew is you know vastly better than PJ Walker. You know, his career resume certainly dwarfs that of Jake Browning or, you know, Taylor Heineke. And then, again, to lose, particularly those two games here in December, I guess last month in December, by three scores is really, really disappointing. Um, So I'd probably start there. Um, Yeah, I mean, without the game script per se, you know, it's a little bit difficult. I I think where some of the bummer disappointment, whatever you want to call it, would come into play, it's just – you know, for people certainly of like a little bit more in kind of our age range, Jimmy, I mean, we are not used to at all this current playoff drought or lack of success, however you want to, want to describe it. We're not used to that at all right. in this market. Um, you know, it'll be, if you do lose, you know, no division titles in nine years, you know, one playoff win in nine years. I mean, you got to go back to really the late 80s, early 90s to find something along those lines, and it's not like you're playing in whatever division you want to label as the best or even, you know, kind of average division in football over that time frame. Now, certainly, I think the arrow is pointing up on the AFC South, but that was not the case, you know, whatever, three uh, over the last three to five years, you know, maybe even further back than that. So I think that's where maybe a little bit of disappointment comes into play of, like, these opportunities don't grow on trees. I mean, you ask the 2021 Colts with arguably the best player in football, that season in Jonathan Taylor and you don't make it uh, go back to 2015 and 2016. I mean, 2015, you were uh, many people's kind of Super Bowl darling pick after the AFC title appearance the year before and the Andre Johnson and the Frank Gore and all chips in, et cetera, et cetera. And boom, it's 500 season. And then you run it back and you know, Angela's going to be healthy. And for the most part, he was healthy in 2016 and you still go 500. So um, I think that's where some of the disappointment would lie. And it's the recent history. These opportunities do not, you know, sit there on a platter for you on an annual basis. And um, I think you have to acknowledge it has been a pretty, you know, manageable, easy schedule. And that's not a given, of course, moving forward. Kevin, I'm going to ask you, Kevin Bowen is our guest, ask you the same question that I asked Jonathan Alexander from the Houston Chronicle. Um, And that is, and I realize from our perspective, it's kind of difficult to tell because we don't cover the Texans week in and week out. But, you know, you talk to enough players from the Colts defensively and getting a feel for C.J. Stroud and what he is able to do. What did Houston do to soften the learning curve for C.J. Stroud as a rookie quarterback that they can learn from to make sure that they are doing the same for Anthony Richardson a year from now? Well, I, I think you first probably have to start with just giving C.J. Stroud the credit he deserves. I mean, and by all accounts, he was, you know, right there with Bryce Young, if not more, and obviously looked like more, the most ready-made of any of his quarterbacks coming out. So I just think a lot of individual credit to him for getting himself to the level to where the learning curve was not very immense. I, I don't think there's <laughs> overwhelming amount of talent on Houston's roster. I thought they made a couple of, you know, decent moves in the offseason, but – 
I, I don't think anybody looks at that offense and thinks that, you know, whatever, they're a top 20, top 15 offensive personnel if you take Stroud away from it. Uh, you know, San Francisco certainly has a history where it is a very, you know, quarterback friendly system, and that's where their, you know, offensive coaches you know, come from behind or uh, come from as well. So I, I, I think that probably is something, you know, is a pretty advantageous system that they've put him into. Uh, but again, I think a lot of it just centers around Stroud and just individually, you know, for all the talk at Ohio State of he's had it easy and, you know, once you put him in conflict, how's he going to react to that? I thought he just silenced so much of that in that semifinal game against Georgia. And then all of a sudden we get to the draft and I'll never forget Chris Ballard, the night of drafting Anthony Richardson, you know, Ballard really went on a CJ Stroud rant about how, you know, disgraceful, uh, if that's the accurate word, it was that, you know, all that chatter had come out in the 48, 72 hours before the draft about Stroud and about his testing and about, you know, the type of character and leader he was. And, I mean, all of a sudden, the night of drafting Anthony Richardson turned into this, like, staunch defense of C.J. Stroud. And, again, to Stroud's credit, he's obviously handled it beautifully. So, I mean, sure, Houston's done a nice job, but, I, I, honestly, I think a lot of it just is individual hat tip to Stroud himself. All right, let's recap uh, for folks the week of the health report, essentially, for the Colts. I mean, obviously, a shortened week by a day or half a day, but in terms of those that we were keeping an eye on at practice this week, Kevin, and what the prognostication appears to be as to who will be in and if anybody, who would be out? Yeah, so as of yesterday, they hadn't ruled anybody out. They did add Chris Lamonts, who – uh, did play in the Kenny Moore role last week. He was ruled out about an hour ago. He was the only Colt player uh, to have missed all practice sessions this week. Uh, Ryan Kelly did participate yesterday, which was their final practice day. Um, he'd probably be the one that's, you know, the one to watch, I guess, before tomorrow and, and actors come out 90 minutes before kickoff. Um, he did, again, participate. His only session was Thursday. He injured that ankle in the Raiders game. Now he stayed in the game, and he tried to, or he did, I guess, play the rest of the game with that ankle injury. Uh, but he's probably the one to watch. You know, there's a lot of other guys listed as questionable, but for the most part, I want to say all of them practiced, I, I believe, full, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday. So, you know, the Kenny Moore would fall into that camp. Zach Moss would fall into that camp. Quentin Nelson would fall into that. So I, I think they're in a pretty good situation. Uh, you know, I would assume that, you know, Kelly gives it a go and Nelson gives it a go and Kenny Moore gives it a go as well. And you know, Houston's in a, in a much different situation injury-wise. So I'll, I'll kind of go back to what I said to you guys a few minutes ago. I mean, it, it, it's shocking for an NFL team, frankly, to be in the health situation the Colts are. I mean, certainly they have injuries. Um, but, you know, for your O-line and your D-line to be – as healthy as they are, the wideout group is healthy. The linebacker group is healthy. Uh, you know, tight end as well. I mean, you, you don't usually say that. You know, based off you know how attrition usually goes throughout the course of the season. So, uh, very good in the health department for the Colts here heading into uh, tomorrow night. The fan zone. Kevin Bowen joins us. KB, you and I, I think Jake as well. Throw Eddie in there too. Have a feel. This could very well be a close game that comes down to the wire. And I understand that he at one point popped up on the injury report a couple weeks ago with with a hip, and I never got full clarity on what that was. If it was just a brief spot up, or if that's maybe why there's been a handful of misses over the last six games. Albeit he goes perfect against the Raiders. Before Matt Gay, what's your confidence level in him? And is eighty one percent? 
across the board for his kicks, non-extra point division, just regular field goals, was that percentage point, and if he closes it out strong and leads to, let's say, a game winner, worth the money they invested this offseason? You know, when you when you spend that type of money on a kicker, you, you are saying that, whatever, come December, January, come playoff time, that guy is, is going to be elite. I mean, that's, you know, kicks in September, October, November, yeah, sure, they, they matter, and obviously – about Matt Gay against Baltimore, you don't win that game. But still, this is really what matters. And boy, if I'm Matt Gay, I, I, I send a you know whatever an early Christmas present uh, to that Raiders guy who went off sides on the 50-yard field goal. Because can you imagine what that conversation would be like had you know that flag whatever not been thrown, that guy hadn't gone off sides, and you know the Raiders whatever drive down and potentially win that game. Um, so yeah, I mean you talk about a storyline that. I'll raise my hand. I probably haven't brought up enough this week, but man, you know, you get to the fourth quarter and how big that could look. And, you know, the Texans, they had their guy Fairbairn made a huge kick outside in Nashville two weeks ago to beat Tennessee in overtime. And that game looked like it could have been a tie and that would greatly change uh, the circumstances tomorrow night. So um, yeah, I, I think it's worth, it's definitely worth watching and noting him. If he makes a big kick and makes a game winning kick, then yeah, I mean, that, that that is living up to that sort of contract and that sort of money. Because again, what you're saying with that is, you know, when the pressure pack kicks to deliver your team a playoff berth or, you know, whatever, win in the playoffs, uh, when that happens, uh, you've got to hit that. It, it's kind of why Cincinnati drafted the Evan McPherson a couple of years ago. It's, you know, we're willing to draft this guy as high as they did. I want to say he's a fifth-round pick. Uh, but you expect him to, you know, be clutch in the playoffs. And, you know, in their Super Bowl run, I want to say he made, you know, outdoor like six or seven 50-yard kicks throughout that playoff run. Yeah. So, yeah, this is um, – yeah, tomorrow night's a big one for Matt Gay and and certainly any any kick that happens during the game, but especially one that, that, that could happen late and – you know, based off what I think, I think based off what probably a lot of people think, those in Vegas included, you know, this game could very well come down to a one-score, one uh, one field goal type of game. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Kevin, let me tell you the angle I'm going to take, if you will, if the Colts lose this game, okay? So I, you know, and you know this from, from having worked with me, I, I'm the eternal optimist. I mean, I'm the guy that I, I bring the sunshine to, to every January gloomy day, right? I mean, like that's, I, <laughs> I see no other way to see things. So. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Lightning going to strike the fourth floor that's, after that comment. <laughs> it's actually going to strike the sixth. It doesn't know we have, that we've moved. Um, so if the Colts were to lose, then I, I guess in the back of my mind, and maybe this is me just trying to like sugarcoat it because I know the disappointment that people would have, but there is part of me deep down that thinks to myself, while it is obviously advantageous to go to the postseason and reap the benefit of the experience of that, we forget that next year is in fact all about still picking back up the continuation of the development of Anthony Richardson and starting all over again with a franchise quarterback and helping him develop. And perhaps missing on the postseason would lower the expectation, lower the spotlight, lower the pressure, and just make life a little more simple for Anthony Richardson to allow him to organically start from the bottom all over again. Is that me being way too left field, outside the box thinking. Yeah, I don't think one game, greatly one game would be make the playoffs or miss it. 
I don't think one game is greatly going to shift like that perception when we get into talk about 2024 expectations. I mean, I, it's a nine-win team or a you know ten-win. But, but there's a difference. Is they're not between a playoff team and a non-playoff team. Yeah, I mean, certainly label-wise and how you view it, but I, even if the Colts lose tomorrow night, I think expectations are still going to be high. If they win tomorrow night and lose in round one of the playoffs, expectations for next year are still going to be higher than you know they would have had they been whatever, a three- or four-win team this year. Um, I think something to keep in mind no matter what happens tomorrow night, and, and I will say this, if they go out and win 41 nothing. And then whatever, um, you know, losing round one, winning round one. If they lose forty-one nothing tomorrow night, like there's this reminder of like just because you make the playoffs in year one of a new head coach, that all of a sudden that means that you know you're guaranteed to have all this all the success moving forward. I mean, think back to the you know first year of Chuck Pagano, the first year of Frank Reich. They both made the postseason. Oh, Frank Reich's team, you know, made. The, the playoffs, uh, or excuse me, won a, a playoff game in year one. So I think the big thing to remember is whether it's you look at the Giants from last year, whether you look at the Vikings from last year, I mean, there are teams that make the playoffs, and just because they do that with the first-year head coach doesn't all of a sudden guarantee this linear line of you're going to continue on this postseason path. And, you know, in the Luck Pagano era, you then won a playoff game, and then you won two playoff games. And then, like I said to you guys at the start, you know, 2015 and 2016, you just hit an absolute wall, and it turns in another direction. Like, you're going to have to build. You're going to have to draft. You're going to have to continue to add around Anthony Richardson and all of that. And, you know, tomorrow night, sure, it might adjust the expectations a little bit, but, you know, I think when we get to, you know, next August, whatever, July, everyone will look at it. It's still going to be a very, very, you know, kind of a sexy pick of like, oh, yeah, here are the Colts of Anthony Richardson. They're going to make a big, big jump. And no matter what happens tomorrow night, yes, label-wise, I mean, hell, if you're Chris Bauer, you think you want a playoff resume on your, uh, you know, or a playoff berth on your resume, certainly. But in the, you know, bigger picture of it, I think expectations are still going to be very high for this team next season. Colts beat writer for 107.5thefan.com. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him, of course, 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin, two questions in one. First, how critical is Alec Pierce being able to take the top off of the Texans' defense tomorrow to a Colts victory? And second, biggest Colts game since when? Well, it's the biggest Colts game in nine years. That's the easy one. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I should say biggest home game. And, you know, you could probably point to 2018 and, uh, and the Tennessee game. Obviously, the playoff games fall into a different category. But, you know, 2018 in Tennessee, you know, very similar to tomorrow night, you know, winning it in. Um, so that would be the only one up there that I would say uh, biggest game of Lucas Oil in nine years. I think that's, you know, of little debate. Uh, you know, as far as Pierce is concerned, yeah, it, it, it's a must to dial up shots to him. And, you know, when you think back to that Raiders game, I, I, we almost lose sight of, like, I mean, the Raiders had, I think at one point they had five drives that had gotten to Indy territory and had scored just three points off those five drives. That's obviously a horrible, uh, you know, end result for moving the football as well as they did. And how many, like, third and one, fourth and ones did they get into which they simply just couldn't convert. And they actually took a shot. It wasn't as similar as the, you know, Minshew to Pierce play, but 
you know, they had taken a shot on one of those short yardage plays and weren't able to hit on that. Um, and obviously, you know, Minshew had missed Pierce a little bit earlier in the game, and he takes a shot there, and boom, it's the only target of the game. But, you know, how critical was that play at that moment to giving the Colts a jolt? You know, the Colts had kind of gotten in a little bit of a rut there after that opening drive touchdown. So, you know, I, I have long said about Pierce, he's a one-trick pony, but damn, it's, it's a pretty special trick when you do – you know, dial it up, and obviously there are plays like that, or there are plays in the I'm trying to think was it Pittsburgh when he drew the penalty? I think Pittsburgh you drew a big penalty in that game uh, on the pass interference. Maybe it was the Falcons game. If I go back to that one on the opening drive, that's the other thing. I mean, you oftentimes get teams committed to the run, and they're willing to put Pierce on an island or put their their corners on an island, and boom, they panic and they get grabby and. Uh, that's, a, that's a flag. And then the NFL, you know, those pass interference penalties are huge. So, yeah, I, I think at some point, certainly, um, there's there's going to have to be a play or two that's dialed up to Pierce. Uh, and I'm also kind of curious, can you get Josh Downs a little bit more involved? I think he's been a little bit quiet here over the last month or so. I think the Texans have had some questions this year with the depth of their cornerback group. Uh, you know, can you get Josh Downs a little bit more involved than he's been in the past month? Do you think the the downs numbers going down, to pardon the pun, but Kevin, is that as much about just kind of rookie wall stuff or um, is it maybe more about other players a la, you know, Pierce from time to time, obviously Pittman, you know, have they have the Colts looked elsewhere or have teams taken downs away? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both. I'd throw in maybe Downs' his knee injury, too. You know, that, that was something around kind of November that, you know, took him out and limited him as well in some games. You know, is he fully, fully healthy or as healthy maybe it was earlier in the year? Uh, but I also think you've gotten a little bit more from your tight end group. I don't think it's a ton, but, you know, Kylan Granson and Will Mallory, um, you know, have had a couple of more, you know, moments here over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so I, I'd probably point to them that's kind of helped out with, you know, Downs being a little bit quieter. Kevin, I say tomorrow night, like I, I was saying, like let's let, all in here, right? I mean, I remember the enthusiasm for the fake punt that that was the disaster against New England, even though it's the greatest play in NFL history. There've been there've been special moments in professional football in this town. The Monday night game with Eric Dickerson, the AFC Championship game, the Jackson interception. You know, the list goes on and on. People getting fired up. Monday night football. Peyton and Marvin to start out the game against Pittsburgh when the Colts were undefeated. It goes on and on and on. And for that reason, tomorrow night, I'm here for it. Open that bad boy. Open the roof. Let's get a snowstorm. Fat guys with shirts off. Let's go. Your thoughts. <laughs> do we have the Ursay tweet yet? I thought we, we do. Uh, we, I, do. I, I, we do. We do. What, Bradley is he confirmed? Closed. It's it's closed. Is the dream over? The dream's dead. The thrill is gone? I'm sorry to have to be the one to do that. What the too. hell are we doing I here? Know. I know. You know, I always thought as much as your fan base would revolt, you know, I'm pretty sure you don't have to make that announcement until like 90 minutes before kickoff. Like, could you imagine if you got to whatever, 645 tomorrow night, and you're like, hey, Houston, uh, roof is open for the game. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> we didn't travel any of that stuff that we need for this game. I, I don't know. Maybe CJ Stroud has played in a little bit more of those types of weather games. It wouldn't matter. Obviously, your your fan base would be, you know, very very frustrated. Can you imagine if you lost that game? Then you would have no, you know, Kevin. You, you you listen. You're wrong there. Not this fan base would be all about it. Players. 
people here are tough. People are gritty, man. We're not talking. This isn't a weak city. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. We're talking like people from the, from the Grove and people from Mars Hill. They are there. They're tough. They're weathered. They're ready to go, man. They got liquid courage. Rip it off. Paint the, paint the chest. They're all about it, man. Come on. I'm all in for it. You know, I'm trying to think back to what what was I, I don't. It might have been one of the colder roof open games. What, what was the temperature of the night of Peyton's return game? Because that was a roof open night in I want to say like late October, and I felt like that was kind of a chilly night for the roof to be open. And I guarantee you, there was some gamesmanship from the Colts going on in that one. You are correct that there had to have been some gamesmanship on that, right? Mid-50s, probably? Here's the thing, though. Chile in October and Chile in January are two totally different things, right? It's <laughs> fifty. Yeah, it's 55 I, out I right now, and we're in, we're in Speedos. Yeah, well, I think we got enough to worry about from a, uh, you know, turf, uh, you know, irrigation standpoint of Lucas Oil Stadium to be uh, having precipitation on the field tomorrow night for that one. By the way, uh, which child is that in the background? Well, I hope you can't hear Max. He's screaming right now. I was hoping he would nap longer than he is. Um, that is Rosie. Yeah, Rosie's currently uh, trying to watch a show, but really wants to put together a puzzle. Anything so, Rosie wants yeah. to say on the radio? Rosie, do you think the Colts are going to win, or do you think um, Texans are going to win? Colts or Texans, Rosie? What? <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh-huh. Is, have you what asked you Rosie if she misses Thanks. hearing the dulcet tones of Uncle Jake in the morning time with, with Daddy? <laughs> Man, Colts, did you check out, Jake? I had a few comments on a on a Max Bowen helmet pick from a few weeks ago. You know what he was rocking? Oh, the, he was, the Clemson gear, was, right? Well, no, it was not. No, the, the Clemson, Clemson gear was Rosie's, right? It was it was the other Jake present. It was the Barcelona sweatsuit. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, that Rosie was Rosie was the, the Clemson onesie, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Rosie Clemson, was a Clemson, Clemson teddy bear, right? Clemson teddy bear and a Clemson dress. I'm looking in the corner right now. I think the Clemson teddy bear is over here somewhere. I tried yeah. to burn it after the game from earlier this year, but he right. told me I could not. Um, but yeah, the Barcelona jumpsuit, which, you know, I mean, you know how soccer fans are. I had a few fans be like, wait a minute. You didn't tell me you're a Barcelona fan. Like reaching out. I'm like, all right, easy now. I'm not <laughs> some crazy, uh, you know, I, I don't even know if they're in the EPL, if they're in the Spanish league. I, well, you know that I'm right there with in. you. I just happened to be over there when we were doing the morning show together. And so there you go. Right. Uh, La yeah. Liga. Anyway, uh, 57 <laughs> degrees okay. is when uh, the te- game type temperature per Wikipedia, week seven, Broncos at Colts. Colts win 39-33 on October 20th, 2013. Yeah, it was a little brisk. I was there. There was a little bit of a breeze coming in. And I think, and I don't know, Jake, you might disagree, and Eddie and Jimmy feel free. I think that's the loudest I've ever heard that stadium was the massive strip sack on Peyton. Oh, I yeah. Sure. Yeah. That, to me, you know, obviously you have the – the anniversary of, you know, a couple of days ago of Colts Chiefs and the deep ball, the Hilton and the Lux Superman and your know, Colts Packers comes to mind. Um, but yeah, you talk about individual loud moments in that building. I would put Mathis blindside sack of Peyton uh, atop anything else. It's going to be a big one tomorrow night. Kevin Bowen will have all the coverage, of course, on the website as well. 1075thefan.com. Uh, for the Colts and the Texans. Enjoy that, and then the weekend as well, and the rare Sunday off, Kev. Will do. Boys, have a great weekend. All right, there we go. Kevin Bowen, who, of course, you will be able to hear talking about all of it as well. Afterwards, your first coverage, Monday morning, 7 a.m., with Andy Sweeney for the wake-up call with KB and Andy.